Welcome to the 3ND Podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman, and I'm uh, joined by Justin Lewis. Justin, how are you tonight, sir? Um, considering the circumstances of the day, um, I'm blessed. I I think that that is that's about as good as you can put it. Um, now, obviously, we're coming to you tonight. Uh, it's uh, Sunday, January 26th. Uh, um, the first, you can you know follow me and Justin at Stats SAC on Twitter, Justin at J underscore Timberfake underscore um, the the uh, our podcast at Three and D Pod. But you know, had, as jovial and as enjoyable as we as we like to make the content on these shows, tonight's different. You know, obviously due uh, to the situation um, uh, with uh, Kobe um, Bryant, um, his his unfortunate and just unexpected passing. Of course, his daughter. Gigi as well. Um, they, you know, died earlier today um, in a in a helicopter crash. Um, a lot of different perspectives. It's just been a surreal day, one of the saddest days in my lifetime when it comes to sports. But Justin, we'll start with you. What is your perspective on things, and just you know, what, what are the thoughts that come to your mind on this just very unfortunate day? Um, a lot. It's um, I've had knots in my stomach. Um, it takes me back to um, the first, um, I guess, athlete death that I remember, and that's Dylan Hart Sr. Um, I remember watching the race and, and as an 11-year-old, understanding the gravity of, of what had happened, even though I was not an Earnhardt fan, I was a Jeff Gordon fan, um, but just the, the respect that I had for the man in his sport. Kobe's on a completely different level. He is worldwide, um, and as so many people have put it, he was just beginning the second chapter of, of perhaps having a bigger impact um, as, an, as a father, um, as an ambassador for the game, for the league. Um, and the, the one emotion that, that has really stuck with me through the day is compassion. Um, just the, the thought that can't, I can't uh, eliminate from my head is those moments of the, the helicopter was, was – spiraling out of control, just the, the emotions that those people felt. Um, you know, my wife brought up a point today, you know, she's not as emotionally attached to this as I am. And she's like, you realize that there were millions of other people that have passed today. Um, and it's true. It's today was the day for so many different people. Um, and we're blessed and lucky that it, that it's not us and that it wasn't our loved ones possibly. Um, maybe some of you listening did lose somebody today, um, it kind of put a perspective on life. Um, life is, is bigger than basketball. Life is bigger than even our own passions and desires. Um, it's, you, you don't know when it's going to be your time. Um, and, and, you know, for me personally, as, as a believer in Jesus, you know, it's, it's, you know, are you right in that moment? And, you know, it makes me question, you know, where was Kobe's faith and Gigi's faith and the other, you know, seven people in the helicopter. And it was just, um, a real um, reality check of am I loving the people in my life that I that I come in touch with to the fullest? A- am I doing what I'm put on this earth to do? Um, as I feel like Kobe was, he was doing that. Um, and for the sport of basketball, um, I think his legacy is going to have a huge impact. Um, maybe not as big as it would have with having his basketball mind and um, those and his presence around. Um, you know, I, at first, my, my first reaction today was, no, the league should not have played a game today. 
but what better way to honor, to honor him than to play the game that he was so madly in love with um, and to see the, the dribbling out of the, the shot clock and the, the standing back court for the eight seconds, just like the, just the harmony and all that today um, was surreal to see. Um, kudos to these NBA guys that took the floor today that lost an idol, that lost a friend, that lost a brother, a mentor. Um, I can't imagine being in any of their shoes. And it's just, I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't imagine um, how Vanessa feels and, you know, his daughters and even those, of the, you know, the relatives of those other people that, that passed, just how sudden and abrupt and, and unexpected um, today was and how it could happen to any of us. And we need to, you know, mend fences uh, and love, love well and love hard and love fully um, every day. Um, because we're not guaranteed the next. And so um, today sucks. I, I wish that 126-2020 never happened, um, but it did. And um, I'm interested to see you know, how the pieces are picked up going forward. Um, I think that was very well said. Um, I, it, In a way, it sucks that – something this tragic, something this, you know, just the sadness of this situation. It takes this for a lot of us to, 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 to put into perspective, you know, our own lives. Are we doing what we can, um, you know, to make the most of the time that we're given? Cause we don't know how much time we're given. And I think that that right there is in a, at the core why Kobe Bryant was so special as a human being. He had his faults. He had his, you know, um, just like any of us, he, he had been through his trials and tribulations, whatever it may be. But he was an icon and the it idol for a complete generation of kids worldwide. Just like for me, Michael Jordan was it. That was Kobe was it before LeBron for a lot of the players in the NBA and just a whole generation of American kids. Unfortunately, he's now gone, but he should not be forgotten. And I think that that's the big thing to take away. Yes, thoughts and prayers with the families that are involved. Thoughts and prayers, obviously, with, uh, you know, um, Vanessa Bryant and her kids, you know, especially with the loss of her daughter. That The perspective should not be taken away from that. But... The reason why this hits so many people is because Kobe was such a special person because he had almost a superhero ability to be so good at what he did because of the quote-unquote mama mentality. He had a mentality to where he was going to do everything in his power to be as great as he could be at what he was focused on doing. Nothing else was acceptable. That's why he was so good on the basketball court. That's why he was making such a positive impact in the second portion of his life as a father and as a mentor, as an ambassador, as you said. He knew nothing different but to give it his all to the best of his ability and do it his own way because that was the only acceptable way for him to reach a standard of doing things that he would be satisfied with. And that's an ideal for all of us that he made a reality for himself. And that's why he stood out so 
so at such a high level for so many people, seeing Neymar halfway across the world during the middle of a soccer game pay tribute to Kobe, stuff like that stands out. This isn't people today weren't doing it, you know, out of a show. Everything felt genuine today because that's what that's who Kobe was. He genuinely was a person who gave it his all to the best of his ability, and he knew that the best of his ability was simply doing it his way, being himself. He evolved over time to where it wasn't just about himself. He made time for others, and he showed that passion towards others. And and, and that's why I think today is so sad. That's why I think that, you know, everything should be done to make his legacy live on, is he lived life the way so many of us want to. He showed us that it could be a reality. And that's why he's an icon and will continue to be an icon. And that's just what makes today so sad. And I echo what you say. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a believer in the good Lord. I hope that everybody is right with whatever religion that they have. But at the end of the day, the thing to take away from all this is to have the Bryant family and anybody that was impacted, the family of those others who were lost, keep them in your thoughts and prayers. Do all that, you know, you can to your level of satisfaction to remember and honor the legacy of Kobe and those that were lost. But know that the best way you can do that is being the best that you can be in the time that you're given. And I think that's the best way to carry on the legacy of someone as iconic as Kobe Bryant. Um, it's sad. It's a somber day. Like this is not something that, you know, this is going to be remembered for years to come. Um, you know, earlier today, I, I had a few conversations about, you know, what deaths and the past were on this level. And you come to the point to where you're like, it doesn't matter. It's just, nobody knows the full scope of this. It's going to happen in time. And I know that me nor Justin no, Kobe, we're not connected with Kobe or anything like that, but our reaction itself should show the impact that he makes. And so this one, this one stinks. It's going to, it's going to for a while. And, 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 you know, just, it just, it, it, it's just a day that nobody ever wants to experience again. Um, but Justin, you know, obviously there there was basketball uh, continuing to be played today, and the Grizzlies did play the Suns. Um, you know, as we shift focus to them, um, really, what it comes down to for the Grizzlies is that you know, obviously, despite the events of today, um, is surprisingly a, a game with playoff implications. You know, coming you know up against the Suns, but the lead up to this game was a bit different than it has been over the past month. The Grizzlies had a, a little bit of regression, a little bit of, in my opinion, a little dose of reality that, you know, they, they're still going to struggle at times. But let's talk about the past week, the loss uh, to the Pelicans, the loss to the Celtics, but then rebounding and, you know, having a pretty convincing victory against the Pistons. Um, what did you learn from the Grizzlies this week, a week in which they struggled more than they succeeded, which has not been the norm as of late? Um, I think we learned that they are who we still think they are. Um, you know, in my push to the playoff piece, um, they are right on pace with what I, project, what I projected the month of January to be. Um, an easier schedule. Um, I, you know, I expected them to drop one on the homestand, um, and then I did not expect them to beat 
the Celtics. Um, and then I thought Detroit was a toss up. So they, you know, they won that toss up game. Um, so it's the Celtics game, while it was a blowout, is more of a reality of what we are against good teams. Um, if the teams take us serious and don't overlook us, which I think was happening earlier in the season, um, then if they, we can't hang with the Lakers. We can't hang with the Clippers if they really wanted to take it to us. Um, but I did love to see the bounce back, the fight, um, the resiliency. Um, Jaw just has that something special. Um, Jaron's evolving in front of our eyes. Um, and, Dylan Brooks just continues to prove me wrong and he's just uh out there with a killer mindset and his his attitude and hard play is infectious on this team. Um so you may knock the Grizzlies down one night, but this team isn't isn't gonna stay down. They're gonna get back up. And I think the biggest thing that you can attribute that characteristic to is their depth. Um I, I wrote in the game preview today um that um you know when it comes to the Grizzlies, um, their depth right now is honestly their biggest asset. Kind of like you mentioned, you know, if, if 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 the Lakers are playing at their, um, you know, top level, if the Clippers are playing at their top level, if the Celtics are playing at their top level, are the Grizzlies going to beat them? Probably 95 out of 100 times, no. And that's what fans, you know, in, in my opinion, sometimes, you know, it, it, it's hard to remember. It's hard that, you know, we view this team based off what we think they'll eventually be as our reality right now versus what they actually are, which is still a group of kids who are prone to make mistakes. There's going to be frequent highs and frequent lows. And you just, you got to keep, you know, perspective on, you can't judge the team based off the nightly occurrence. You've got to look at the picture overall. And so, but the depth is the thing that I think helped them out so well on Friday night. We saw Jaron go inside and out, knowing that teams couldn't stop him. He was acting like his the superstar potential that he had. And with Jaw and Valanciunas and our other starters struggling a bit at first, you put in Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton, and Brandon Clark, we go on a 17-6 run. We're up 35-23 to at the end of the first quarter. The Grizzlies right now, in my opinion, are one of the deepest teams in the NBA. And the reason why that is is because a lot of the Grizzlies' best lineups are when their bench players are in the game. And they're now starting to close games with their bench players and different variations of lineups around their bench players because that's what gives them the best chance to win, especially on the defensive end of the court. So that's why I'm saying that I, you know, the Grizzlies, despite their struggles this week, the bounce back really stood out to me because it shows that this team has the resiliency and the resourcefulness to stay at a good competitive level, even if they are to struggle. And, and that's a really good sign from such a young team that's really, you know, still in the starting stages of its rebuild. But the other thing that helps us sustain success is performing well when it counts the most. And of course, that's late in games. Justin, we know Jaw has that ability. He continues to show it. But to be honest, it, that's the thing to me that sets him apart when comparing him to other players over the past decade, the past 20 years, rookies to that level, showing that closing mentality, that Mamba mentality, if you will, of not accepting anything other than victory. What is your takeaway from that? Have you seen that from other rookies in the past? 
I've, I've maybe you've seen the the mentality, but maybe not always the ability to to match it. Like I I believe that maybe LeBron as a rookie had the mentality, but LeBron couldn't shoot um, for first few years of his career. Um, so could he always get it done? You know, I don't I don't know, but he's probably the only one that I could think of that would even be in the same realm. Uh, maybe Luca last year, um, but it seems like Morant, even if he is, you know, 0 for 6 in the first three quarters, is going to score 10 points in the fourth. Um, he finds a way to um, close for this team, um, no matter what kind of night he's having, and it's just his refusal to lose, like you said, is is unmatched by basically any rookie that I that I can think of. And that's the thing that I'll say it, it, it stands out to me is that I I just don't know of another rookie who has been able to do that. It, he reminds me, this is where my hope, the guy, I know that they're, he's not the shooter that Damian Lillard is, but in terms of a commitment to a market like Lillard has with Portland and that just quiet confidence, not necessarily quiet, but that, I am confident that the way that I am doing things is the best way to get me and my team to where I want it to be. That type of mentality, I want Jaws' career to match Damian, Damian Lillard's in terms of the production and in terms of that perspective. That's what Jaw reminds me of. Just that ability to where if you know the ball is in his hands, it may not happen the same way. It may not be the most effective way, but he's going to get it done. He's going to t- t- put the team on his back and get the win taken care of. Right now, in terms of the fourth quarter, John Morant currently, of any player that has played you know, at least 35 games, he's sixth in the league in scoring in the fourth quarter with 7.9 points. He also is shooting nearly 55% from the floor um, during the, the the fourth quarter as well. So not only is Jaw sitting here and being productive, he's being efficient. Jaw is playing his best basketball when the game is on the line. And for that to be the characteristic of him at such a young age, that's why he stands out as a potential superstar. It's just so rare to see someone so young be that, not necessarily dominant, but be that effective and, and will his team to victory like Jaw can. The Grizzlies just have never had a closer like that. And that's why I think people truly feel that the ceiling of this core is much higher than originally anticipated with Jaws' ability to close. The flip side of that, though, is that, you know, while he can close, you've got to have other folks who also contribute and support that ability earlier in the game. Friday night, Jaron's performance stood out to me. 24 points in the first half. The Pistons simply did not have an answer for him. Do you feel that that was one of Jared's best performances in memory, Justin? And do you feel that we truly saw his ability to where he could take over a game if the situation called for it? Yeah, he's. I think Taylor Jenkins has kind of given him the freedom to to just be himself. Uh, I think I heard it, it was Pranico was talking about it, and, and maybe the Detroit game um, that. Sometimes Jaron was just overthinking the game um, with, with a, you know, being a, an NBA player's son and having the knowledge of the game, you tend to, tend to overthink, do I shoot? Do I pass? Do I need to like, 
just get out there and play the game of basketball. And I think that Jenkins has got him to that point where he's just playing basketball. And we're starting to see that he could be an unstoppable force in this league um, when he hits his prime. Because he's not even close to hitting his prime yet. Like He is still evolving and learning. Heck, he was still growing over the summer. Um, so I do believe that the Pistons game is just a glimpse of, of what Jaron's going to be long-term going forward. I think that the concept of what many thought Jaron Jackson would be his versatility on offense, I think, is much higher or much more um, extensive than people originally thought he could be at this age coming into the NBA. The next step, I think, in that is his decision-making of knowing when to take the effect of three, but also knowing when to go to the basket. That mentality of knowing that he can succeed scoring multiple ways regardless of who is guarding him. Now, I'm not saying that he winds up turning turning into a Giannis or, or, or Kawhi Leonard type level offensive player where he could just do it any night that he wants to at his will. What I do think, though, he is setting the floor of doing is being able to do that against teams that are less talented than the Grizzlies. He has the ability to truly take over the game and earn wins. He has the ability to allow for the Grizzlies to win those games that they're supposed to win if others are off like Jaw and other starters were. Friday night. And that's a very good characteristic to have. I think that Jaw is more likely to have the the more significant NBA career just because of his style of play, it being a more guard-oriented game. But Jaron has the highest ceiling to where he, I think, has the best chance to truly win an MVP one year if he can ever put together a season like he did Friday night. The big thing about Jaron, though, is having that consistent confidence and knowing that his decisions are going to be the right ones and mixing it in and out when it comes to shooting from three or taking it to the basket and scoring. Hopefully his defense continues to mature to where he can make good decisions on both ends of the court. Justin, the other thing like I was talking about earlier, our lineups, our bench players, we really saw that come to fruition um, uh, uh, Friday night. Again, a 17-6 to run to take a 12-point lead at the end of the fourth quarter. And then with um, the lineup of Dylan Brooks, John Morant, Jaron Jackson, Brandon Clark, and DeAnthony Melton, um, we were able to go 22 on a 22-8 run to finish the game in the fourth quarter. Are we to the point now to where um, Taylor Jenkins' preferences are, yes, you want to feature John Jaron, but now you also want to make a lot of your rotations go around the Andersons, the Meltons, and the Clarks when it matters most? Um, I still think that, that Jenkins is at the point where he's going hot hand, um, who's playing well that night. Um, something that you know we really got on Bickerstaff about. Uh, Bickerstaff was too reliant upon Sheldon Mack and um, the vets and, and doing all that. I think that he's just going with the best chance to win. Um, and that's that's him learning and evolving as a coach. Because um, the reality is, as much as we love Valanciunas, most games for us to close, we don't need Jaron and Jonas on the floor. Um, I love that lineup that he closed with in Detroit. Uh, I want to see more of that lineup. I want to see that lineup, you know, uh, start at some point and see how that works. Uh, but Jonas has obviously earned his right to be out there with the starting five. Um, so I would say it's just more of a, a attributed to his willingness to go with the hot hands and not play um, people just because it's you know part of the rotation and so and so has played this many minutes. It's hey these guys are giving us the best chance to win tonight and these are the guys we're going to roll with. 
one of the things that I put in the preview was just how effective that three-man and four-man lineup are off our bench. Taj Jones, Kyle Anderson, Brandon Clark, and DeAnthony Melton. Just when you look at different three-man and, and, and different lineups that contain three or all four of those guys, what what about that group makes them so good? Why does it not surprise you that the Grizzlies are at their best when you know those three or those four guys are playing together on the court? Well, think about Tyus, Melton, and Anderson. They're all three guys that can be playmakers. They can they can handle the ball, initiate the offense, and they're none of them are selfish. They're all very selfless, high, high IQ basketball players. Um, and then with with Clark and Anderson and Melton, they're also above average defensive players. And while Tyus Jones is not a, a great one-on-one defensive player, he is a good team defensive player. So I think it's just the the IQ, uh, the unselfishness, the ability to to be playmakers, and then just the defense that they play. That that group is just a phenomenal bench unit because of that. I think you hit the nail on the head. It, to me, it's the IQ and the efficiency with Anderson, Melton, and um, uh, Jones. That's probably a trio in in the entire history of the Grizzlies franchise. It's hard to find many trios that have been on a Grizzlies team where you have more effective ball movement. I, I don't have the stats in front of me that that measure the effectiveness of ball movement, but for a rotate for a lineup itself that doesn't have a lot of outside shooting potential to score at the level that they do is absolutely phenomenal. The, our best offensive lineup, our best offensive three-man lineup, one that's been sixth in the NBA since December 1st for any three-man lineup that's played 100 minutes or more together, is Tyus Jones, Jaron Jackson Jr., and um, uh, I believe Kyle Anderson. And the reason why, or excuse me, D'Anthony Melton. And the reason why that is is because you've got two players who can pass the ball, play good defense, and you have the other who could, who has been one of the best three-point shooters in the league. So just imagine the Grizzlies having this core in place, having these guys come off their bench, and if they were to add one or two more you know, significant shooters, the, the, the sky's the limit. So I agree with you. I think it's the IQ. I think it's the efficiency. I just think that it's being able to know what the other players are going to do that makes them so successful. So obviously, Justin, you know, we, you, you know tonight they played the Suns. You know, really, when it comes to your playoff piece and, and talking about what the Grizzlies can do before the trade deadline, you know, at, at what point are you really going to be convinced that, okay, the playoffs, you know, while we shouldn't be making trades and things like that for now, we need to be prioritizing what we can do to make these playoffs happen. Are you to that point or do you still think it's a month or two away before you truly are convinced that the, that the, um, franchise truly feels playoffs are going to happen. I'll be convinced the playoffs are a real thing if we get through um, February close to a 500 record. February is going to be a minefield, a nightmare. Um, the schedule is insanely tough with um, matchups against uh, top four seeds from both conferences. Um, if they can, if they can get through. Um, February, which I think they've got like 15 games, and I had them going like five and ten in February. Uh, you get through February going seven and eight, six and nine, eight and seven. 
then I'll be convinced the playoffs are a real threat for them, um, but not until then. And that's the thing that I will say is that when it comes to the month of February, I I mentioned that you know in, in a couple of conversations. Uh, you know, I talked with Joe Molinax about that on a conversation here. That I believe over a month's time frame, over like you know five weeks almost, the Grizzlies only have three games at home. Of course, the All Star breaks in there. But I completely agree with you. One thing that can that can help them besides the tough schedule, you're starting to see there. There's been rumors. You know, Portland's already made a few moves to indicate it. You know, you could see. Um, you know, the Spurs potentially do it and the Suns. One thing that you may see at the trade deadline is a few of these teams kind of, kind of, you know, mail it in. These other teams who are in the uh, fight for the eighth spot, them, you know, really show that they are more focused on the future because that's the difference between these, this Grizzlies team and these other teams. The Grizzlies, this is just icing on the cake. They're organically doing it with what they have. They don't need to add something else to be able to keep playing at this level. But if a few of these other teams fall off, then the Grizzlies may have a little bit of wiggle room to where they struggle in February. So I I agree with you, though. I think seeing where they are come March 1st really is going to be an indicator of, hey, the playoffs make sense, or, you know, if they happen, great. You know, we'll just take it as is, and again, it'll be icing on the cake. Justin, as we, you know, in, you know, this edition of the 3 and D podcast, again, uh, a very sad day. Our, our thoughts and prayers are, you know, out to anyone, you know, everyone, all fans of Kobe Bryant, but especially, you know, his family, the family uh, of those who have lost someone today. Um, any more thoughts that, that you have just in general on the day itself? I'll just echo what I said earlier. Um, it's just everybody needs to take a step back. Um, gain some perspective and um, just love well. And um, if you've got fences to mend, mend them. Uh, it's not worth it because um, life is too short. And I think that, you know, as Kobe said himself, life is too short. Um, and if you love something and you, you want to be successful at something, do it to the best of your ability. Have your own Mamba mentality when it comes to what you do so that you can do it the best to your ability and get the most out of life. Cause you never know um, when the last day may be um, for, for Justin Lewis. My name is Sean Coleman. God bless Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the three and D podcast. We'll see you next week. Go Grizzlies.